The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Matthew chapter 8. Chapter 8, beginning at verse 14. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw that Peter's mother-in-law lay sick with a fever. And so he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Surely he has taken our illnesses and borne our infirmities. Now when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders that they would go over to the other side. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Where do we find the courage to pray for healing in an age of sickness and death. No, I didn't forget to read the Old Testament lesson this morning. I was convicted this week from a series of events that it was right to pause our current series on prophets and kings. We'll come back there next week. But I was convicted to preach on healing. Specifically asking the question, as we look here at Matthew chapter 8, where do we find courage to pray for healing when we are confronted so often with sickness and death? We, we are constantly confronted by sickness and death. This week in the parish, there were two deaths. And as we look at that, we're faced with this question in the world that says, the world that says, how can you Christians pray with such boldness for healing when there's so much sickness and death around us. What often happens is we get rather timid or shy to pray for healing because we worry that if I pray too courageously and too boldly into this particular circumstance, what if the Lord doesn't answer that prayer quite the way that I'm asking him to answer the prayer? Will I do more damage to this family? Will I somehow be shipwrecking their faith? Will I shipwreck my own faith? How do we find courage to pray boldly for healing when we're facing so much sickness and death? The problem is so many Christians give really bad answers to the question of seemingly unanswered prayer. I say seemingly unanswered prayer because I believe that God answers every prayer we ask for healing. He just has a tendency to answer those prayers the way he wants to answer them, not always the way that I want to answer them. The difficulty is when we're facing the question of seemingly unanswered prayer, some Christians give really bad responses. They'll say things like, well, clearly you didn't have enough faith. Or it was the wrong person who was praying. As if God is a vending machine into which we punch enough quarters of faith and then we get whatever we want out. That's a transactional relationship. That's not the relationship that God invites us into, where we trust him as God and Lord. Where do we find courage to pray for healing in the face of so much sickness and death? 
Well, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 14, we're going to look at this story of Peter's mother-in-law getting healed. And I, I love the fact that Peter is married and has a family and therefore all the you know, challenges of living as a disciple of Jesus with a family, including he's got a mother-in-law. It's, it's kind of like the man who uh, is taking his whole extended family with him to Israel. Uh, they're in Jerusalem, the whole family, his wife, his kids, his extended family. And while they're there, the unthinkable happens. His mother-in-law dies on the trip in Jerusalem. And so he's at the U.S. Embassy having to figure out, well, how do we possibly transport my mother-in-law home? You know, and the U.S. Embassy official says, listen, I got to tell you, it's over $10,000 just to get the casket out of Jerusalem to the U.S. And he said, and the official in the embassy says, you know, many people as a result will decide just to bury their loved ones here in Jerusalem. I mean, it's Jerusalem. You know, it's the holy city. You know, you can, you can save the money, bury her here. And the man responds and says, no, 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 I will pay whatever it takes to get her out of Jerusalem and bury her back home. And, and, and the official at the, at the you know, uh, embassy says, you must have really loved your mother-in-law to be willing to care for her with even that price tag. And he said, oh, no, no, it's not that. He said, you know, the problem is here in Jerusalem, a man was buried here many years ago and after three days rose again and I'm not taking that chance. It's one of those moments where my wife is shaking her head saying, you know, Paul, funny does not mean appropriate. Like, you don't need to share that in the sermon. <clears throat> but Peter has a mother-in-law, and she gets healed. That's the point. That's the point. The mother-in-law gets healed. She's got a fever. She's laying sick, and Jesus heals her. And then everyone else gets healed. There's this enormous healing ministry that takes place that night. And as we look at this story, here's what we see. That you and I we'll find courage and boldness today to pray for healing in our lives, in the lives of our loved ones, and healing for the world as we behold this story. Because in this story, we'll find that courage to pray for healing is found as we trust in God's kingdom. See, the kingdom is brought to bear in this story. And as we understand what the kingdom of God is, our courage in healing and transformation begins in understanding and trusting in God's kingdom. But it's not just God's kingdom and trusting in God's kingdom that we find courage, but it's as we trust in the knowledge of God, God's own knowledge of each and every situation, each and every life that we're praying for. He knows better than we do what that person ultimately really needs. We find courage as we trust his kingdom and as we trust his knowledge in every situation. But not only do we find courage as we trust his kingdom and trust his knowledge, but we find courage growing in us to pray boldly for healing as we face the reality and trust in God's kindness. Oh, how that changes everything. God's kindness. First, our courage grows as we understand and trust in God's kingdom. Our courage to pray boldly for healing. Trusting in God's kingdom. See, in verse 14, here in Matthew 8, we read that Jesus, when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law laying sick with a fever, and he touched her hand and healed her. The point is the story begins with Jesus entering a situation of brokenness. Brokenness. 
The first thing we've got to understand about Jesus and his kingdom and how it relates to healing is it's about Jesus bringing his presence into a situation of brokenness. And it's through his presence in the situation of that brokenness that healing happens. You you can see just how Christocentric this story is. It's all about Jesus. When you take the pronouns, the he, him, and his pronouns, and just insert Jesus' name. So if you actually read the text with Jesus' name in here, just in verse 14, 15, and 16, listen to how it sounds, just how Jesus-centric this story is. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, Jesus saw Peter's mother-in-law laying sick with a fever. Jesus touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve Jesus. That evening, they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, and Jesus cast out the spirits with a word, and Jesus healed all who were sick. See, the point of the story is it's Jesus coming into this situation that brings the healing. It's not about a prayer method or a prayer formula. It's not about getting the words right. Healing prayer is simply inviting Jesus into a person's life that is experiencing brokenness and saying, Lord Jesus, bring your presence. And as you bring your presence, so will come your healing. Why? Because as Jesus enters every situation, Jesus brings his kingdom with him. See, it's about the kingdom of God. Jesus is announcing the kingdom. Jesus is inaugurating the kingdom of God. Jesus, in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, and our belief in his coming again. This is how Jesus is bringing about his kingdom, God's kingdom, the reign of God, where God is in the business through his kingdom of putting the world back together. God, in what Jesus is pronouncing and Jesus is inaugurating in his life, the kingdom of God is about putting the world, to use the language of Bishop Tom Wright, to put the world to rights. A broken world made whole, made rights. As Tom Wright, Bishop Tom Wright in Simply Christian, which was my clergy uh, pick in the bookstore and sold more copies than all the other clergy, um, as, as Bishop Wright says explaining the kingdom of God that Jesus is pronouncing and is inaugurating. Jesus' announcement of the kingdom is a call for us to believe that the true God, the world's creator, has loved the world so much, you and me included, that he has come himself in the presence and in the person of his son and has died and risen again to exhaust the power of evil and and chaos and create a new world in which everything will be put to rights and joy will replace sorrow. This is what it means when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 4 verse 16, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is Jesus' message. God is bringing his rule, his reign, his kingdom to bear on this world to put it to rights, to put it back together. And here's what's amazing in Matthew's gospel. Jesus, in Matthew 4, 17, begins his ministry preaching about the kingdom of God. And then what happens? Chapters 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. For you who are taking this on Tuesday morning with the men's study or women's study or Wednesday night with church on Wednesday, Sermon on the Mount. 
This is about how we live in the kingdom of God. So he announces the kingdom. Then he tells us what it means to live as citizens of the kingdom, chapters five, six, and seven. Chapters eight and nine is all these healing stories. He's preaching the kingdom and people are getting healed and it all culminates in chapter nine, verse 35, which expresses the the totality of Jesus' kingdom teaching. That Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. We cannot understand the concept of healing ministry at Jesus' hands or healing prayer on behalf of Jesus without understanding its integral connection to the kingdom of God. Jesus is bringing his kingdom to bear, and that's why people get healed. Because he's putting the world to rights. As Mr. Beaver in the Chronicles of Narnia, speaking of the Aslan figure, the Christ figure, the great lion who is to come to rescue them, Mr. Beaver says, wrong shall be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrow will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter knows its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. Jesus' announcement and inauguration of the kingdom of God is where healing comes from. And so for us to pray for healing is simply to trust that Jesus has told us the truth about the inbreaking of his kingdom. That's trusting the kingdom. But even more though, we find courage to pray for healing, not only as we trust in his kingdom, but as we trust in his knowledge of every situation, of our own lives and the people around us. See, it's trusting in God's knowledge of every situation that will give us courage to boldly pray for healing. Here's what I mean. Verse 18, it's a surprising verse. In verse 18, after this amazing healing moment, all these people get healed. What happens? Verse 18, and Jesus saw the crowds around him and said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And you want to say, hold on a second, Jesus. The crowds have gathered the next day because they've heard about the healing and they're coming because they need healing. There's a crowd of broken, needy people surrounding Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He leaves them. He goes on to the other side. Why? Because he says, my father told me I'm to go over there. And I want to say, Jesus, I mean, there's needy people. You're supposed to stay here and just keep pouring out your healing on all these people. Jesus walked away from people in need of healing. Imagine the shock of the disciples. Jesus, the ministry is really soaring. The number of people that showed up last night, we had all kind of welcome cards filled out. Judas has rented the arena and a private jet. Like the ministry is booming, Jesus. You can't walk away from the crowd. But he does. Because Jesus trusts his father and he knows that his mission has not been to be a one-man healing station. He's got a much bigger ministry. Can you hear it? He's got a much bigger ministry than simply to heal bodily ailments, as painful and as real as those are. In compassion, his healing power pours out of him, but that's not ultimately why he's come. His face is set towards Jerusalem, where our true healing will be won. 
You see, Jesus understands. Jesus knows us. He has the knowledge of God looking at a human life and knows what we truly ultimately need. I mean, just to get our heads around it, all of Jesus' healings in the Bible, every time he healed a leper, every time he made someone who couldn't walk stand, opened the mouths of mute and opened the ears of the deaf and even raised Jairus' daughter from the dead and Lazarus, every one of these healing moments were partial healing moments. And I say partial because momentarily the power of God flowed out of him, but eventually that person, all those people who got healed at the hands of Jesus, eventually their bodies got sick again, broke down, and they died because they're not here this morning. The healing Jesus offered was partial. It was not ultimate. There was something much more essential to every human life that he knew we needed. And so, Jesus knowing our true need comes to heal it. See, it's interesting in the text, we get a little hint of that true healing. In verse 15, when he heals Peter's mother-in-law, it says he touched her hand. And we can miss it if we don't think in an ancient Near Eastern Jewish first century mindset. Because in the ancient Near Eastern world, disease and uncleanliness was something that they believed would easily pass from one person to another simply by touch. Not, not a sort of first century version of the CDC or worries about contagious diseases. It was more of a spiritual sense that whatever's in you, if I touch you, that which is wrong will come into me. And so even physicians in the first century would use all kinds of instruments to keep their hands off of the patients because they did not want whatever was in that patient to pass into them. Jesus shocks his disciples when he walks up to this fevered woman and puts his hand on her hand. Can you imagine the disciples saying, Jesus, you can't touch her. If, if, you, if you touch her, the fever is going to go out of her. Into... And Matthew says, and the fever left her. To an, an ancient Near Eastern mind, of course the fever left her. Where did it go? It passed into the one that touched her. Jesus took the illness. That's the way they would have seen this. Jesus has taken the illness from her into his own body. And it was interesting in verse 15, it goes on to say, and she rose, which is the word anastas, which is where we get the word resurrection. And after he touches her and heals her, she rose and began serving her, which is again a picture towards the empty tomb. What Jesus is doing here in Matthew's record is giving a little taste of this ultimate healing that he comes to give, which is why in verse 17, they quote Isaiah 53. This is to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, surely he has taken our illnesses and borne our infirmities. It's not just talking about physical disease. Isaiah 53 is talking about everything wrong in us. Sin and death itself will be transferred from our bodies into his body as he bears that ultimate illness in his body on the cross. Jesus knows our ultimate needs for healing. And every time we bring a dear one before Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, we're asking for bodily healing. He knows 
that situation. He knows that person better than we do. Even when we bring ourselves to him, Lord, heal me. He knows us like we do not know ourselves and knows what our ultimate needs are. All this teaches us that we need to trust in God's knowledge as we pray for healing. We need to boldly, and don't you see how it helps us to boldly pray? Lord, I'm gonna pray boldly for this healing. But I understand that it's under your knowledge. It's surrendered to your knowledge and your will. That's why uh, John Chrysostom in the morning and evening prayer book, uh, morning and evening prayer service, the, the final prayer after we sort of pull together all our prayers says, Lord, grant these our requests as may be best for us. That's surrendering to his knowledge. I mean, I thank God for the number of times I look back in my life that God didn't answer my prayers exactly as I wanted him to answer them because he knew better. I mean, think back to like high school boyfriends and girlfriends. I mean, seriously, I mean, how many times when I was 17 years of age, oh Lord, please change her heart. Bring this girl, she, she broke my heart, she dumped me, bring her back, oh Lord, my life is over, you know, oh Lord, change, change her heart, please, please bring her back. And the Lord looked down and said, Paul, you have no idea what you're asking for. There's this woman named Monica who you're going to meet soon, and that's how I'm going to answer that prayer. We need to trust in the knowledge of God as we pray, and it gives us boldness. For our daughter, Sophie Jane, as she was chronically sick in and out of Children's Hospital for seven years when she was little, you know, we prayed every day for her bodily healing. But it also taught us, especially in the scarier moments, to pray in ultimate terms. To learn to pray like this, Lord Jesus, we want her body healed now, but there's an even more important request we have than her bodily healing now. Lord Jesus, I need you to deal with her sin and one day raise her from the dead. You know this child and what she needs. We have boldness as we pray when we trust in his kingdom that's being brought to bear in this world and we have boldness when we pray for healing as we trust in his knowledge. But finally we find courage and boldness to pray for healing in our own lives and in the lives of others as we trust in his kindness. Kindness. J.I. Packer says that probably the best English word that we know in our contemporary, you know, everyday language to describe the concept of grace, God's unmerited, unearned love, unexpected, surprising love and grace towards us, that the best way to describe that grace is the word kindness. That God shows us undeserved kindness. Surprising kindness. It is kindness comes to us, a surprising people that don't deserve it. He comes with his kindness into surprising circumstances. And so it is that we see in verse 14 that it's Peter's mother-in-law who's being healed. And what's shocking about this is the fact that in this story and in so many others that Jesus heals a woman. And again, you got to think in terms of an ancient Near East first century worldview. Right? Thanks be to Jesus, the trajectory of the Bible tells us, and we live into it now, that men and women 
made in the image of God, equal before God. But in the first century, the worldview was that women were secondary citizens, that women were property. And therefore, the shock here is the number of times that Jesus heals a woman, the number of times that Jesus heals a Gentile outside of Israel, the number of times Jesus heals a wicked, wicked person who is considered unclean in their very soul. The surprising thing is how Jesus brings his healing to the most unexpected places and the most unexpected people, and that's called grace. That's his kindness. That's his surprising, shocking kindness. You see, here's what's interesting. When you looked at the temple itself in Israel, the temple courts reflected kind of the Jewish view of the world. Who could go in to the holiest places? And they, these courts were separated with, 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 with markers and you could not pass into the temple next court if you didn't live up to the expectations. First, there was the world. The world is out there. And if you're unclean, even if you're Jewish, you can't come in, right? And, and, and so that's the world. All the unclean, wicked people are out there. And then there's the court of the Gentiles, and so the morally upright Gentiles could come into the Gentile court. But then there's the court of women. All the Jewish women could come in if they were pure, ritually, ceremonially pure. And then there's the court of Israel. Only the men could come in if they were ceremonially pure. And then there was the great temple curtain. Behind it was the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go once a year. And here's what's amazing in, Mark, in Matthew's gospel, in chapter eight. Look at the order of how he heals people. He's, re, he's undoing this temple separation because Jesus begins in, Mark, in Matthew eight healing a leper, unclean in the world, breaking down that wall. Next, he heals a Gentile, breaking down that wall. Next, he heals a woman, breaking down that wall. And it all will come, culminate in chapter 27, when Jesus, in verse 51, as Matthew alone records it, when he dies his final breath and utters his final word, there is an earthquake that tears the curtain temple in two, dividing the Holy of Holies from the world. As Dale Bruner says, Jesus in his healing ministry is the great wall breaker. He's breaking down every dividing wall of hostility which is a demonstration of his commitment and his kindness and his grace to go everywhere with his kingdom, to go everywhere into the most unsurprising people and the most unsurprising, most, most surprising people and most surprising places. I know in my life that it's easy to fall into the place of categorizing those people and those circumstances where God can heal and work and those that it just really doesn't seem like he could ever really heal and work. That we start categorizing people into this sort of beyond hope category. Maybe it's because we say, oh, there's no way that person could ever be reached with the gospel. There's no way that this horrendous situation could ever be reached. Or I've been praying so long for that situation, so many years, that clearly it seems this is beyond hope. but we need to trust in his unexpected and amazing kindness and grace. This week, 
and I got permission from the family to share this. We have a 13-month-old parishioner named Rowan. Many of you have been praying for for the 13 months of Rowan's life because he was born with a liver that is incompatible with his body. Rowan's been fighting with his liver his entire life, all 13 months of it. And he's been on the verge of death all the way along. And so many disappointments, transplant moments that fell aside, surgical procedures that couldn't work. I remember when we baptized Rowan back in May, this little jaundiced baby, thinking as I baptized Rowan, well, I guess we're kind of preparing him for death. Because he seemed beyond hope. So much prayer, so much time, so many disappointments. But then on Friday morning, I got a text that Rowan, that night before, and his family had been flown to Pittsburgh Children's Hospital because a transplant had come available. And they felt good that this actually might be a compatible fit. And so they were there. And here's what I find amazing with the situation, even further, just God showing off his sovereignty and his grace and his kindness. That when I read that text about Rowan being flown from Dallas to Pittsburgh for transplant surgery, I read that text as I woke up in my hotel room in Pittsburgh. I've only been there once this year for one day, that one night planned months ago for a board meeting of a seminary I'm on. I woke up and I said, I'm here. I texted the dad. I said, someone will be by to see you before surgery. Can you imagine the family's shock as their own rector walked in the room in Pittsburgh? To sit and pray with Rowan and the family. And the surgery was successful. He's got much prayer needed still. Much prayer. And now you, now you all are, can't be off the hook now. Now you all got to pray. Because this family's going to need months and months of prayer and more. But here's what's amazing, the reason I share this. Is, is what's incredible with this circumstance and the situation that God brought this to pass is, is not just that this family was powerfully comforted in that moment. I mean, for, for God to be so real in that moment to them to say, yeah, we, you know, I, I managed to make it so your own rector's right here. But it was actually the conviction of this priest flying home that made me change the entire sermon text and preach about healing. To convict me afresh, and I should know better, because I prayed for a daughter for seven years and saw her healed after so long. But to convict me as a rector and to convict all of us that we should never categorize any person or any event as beyond hope. Don't ever let our prayer lives, our earnest, bold, courageous prayers for healing be snuffed out or diminished because we begin categorizing people or circumstances as beyond hope. With God, all things are possible. Where do we find the courage to pray for healing? When we're faced with so much sickness and death, we find courage to pray boldly for healing as we trust in God's kingdom that is being brought to bear in Jesus Christ now in our lives and in this world. 
We find boldness and courage to pray for healing as we trust in his knowledge. In every situation, oh Lord, I'm going to pray with absolute boldness, but I'm going to trust and submit it to your knowledge of this ultimate needs of this person. And finally, I'm going to find courage and boldness to pray for healing as I trust in God's amazing kindness that goes to the most unexpected places, the most unexpected times. Let us be a people who believe the gospel and pray courageously and boldly for our own healing, for the healing of our loved ones, and for the healing of this world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.